Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Good morning. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Ocean View. Thanks for being here with us. We are in the second week of this series called Broken Images. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to uh, jump online and watch it. Not right now, but you know, later this week. And watch that. Uh, Pastor Terry kind of set us up in this conversation where we are looking at different people throughout Scripture. And here's the thing. We can relate to this because growing up, I had people in my life that I looked up to, right? People who I would consider heroes in my life. And they weren't always necessarily people that I knew, like, personally. Sometimes it might be, like, you know, a, a celebrity or an actor or actress. For some of you, it's probably sports fans. Like, you, you're, like, a sports fan, so you looked up to, like, basketball players or baseball players, things like that. Or maybe there were people in your life that you looked up to. It could be a pastor. It could be a teacher. It could be even a family member, somebody in your life that you took your cues from and you said, man, they're a hero to me. And the truth is we all have people like that in our life. And what happens is when we view them through this one lens, this one side of life, we kind of allow our minds to fill in the blanks of everything else in their life. And what happens over time is that we end up putting these people who are our heroes on like this pedestal, right? And we start saying, man, they're so great, they're a hero. But as we get older, we realize that it's a little complicated, right? And we look behind a little bit and we see, wait a second. I see things in their life that make me question other things in their life, right? And this is true for all of us. It's true in my life. There are people that I looked up to, and then I take a step back, and as I look closer, I'm like, well, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. Are they the person that I thought that they were? We all have stories like that in our life of people that maybe we looked up to, and then we see they weren't as perfect as we thought they were. And you know what? That's okay. That is normal life for all of us, isn't it? It's jarring when we encounter that because we didn't perceive them to be that way or do those things. And it kind of creates this incongruity in our minds and our hearts. And it's a little tension that we don't know what to do with. It still happens to this day, right? Maybe you held uh, some recent celebrities in very high esteem and then you saw them battle it out in court. You watched it. Don't lie. Right? And now you're like, wait a second, they're weird. And you're like, yeah, they are. We won't name names today. But we all have people in our life like that, right? And here's the great thing, though. When I look into Scripture, I see time and time again that God uses imperfect people to do really extraordinary things. And that actually gives me some good peace and joy in my life because guess what? I'm not perfect. And it gives me hope that in God's story, he can still use me to do something incredible. All those people, in fact, that we just sang about, right? When we look behind their story, we're going to see a lot of stuff in their life. David, who slew Goliath, well, he was also a murderer. He cheated. He lied. Like, he hurt a lot of people. And yet, God still used him in his life. Didn't mean it was without consequence. Didn't mean that he got away with it or anything like that. But God still worked in his life. And, and the truth is, we see that over and over again in Scripture. And I love that. I love that God gave that to us. In fact, as I was 
writing this this week, I came across this quote of something that just happened this week, and I wanted to share it with you because it was so, uh, so fitting. It said this, if, I, if, if God cared about protecting leaders' reputations, he would have written the Bible differently. It doesn't seem like God is concerned with protecting the reputation of the leaders of his people. In fact, he went out of his way to put in the Bible details of leaders' lives exposing their sin showing their weakness, showing when the people of God got it wrong over and over again. It's like it's the theme of the Bible. And isn't that so true? We see it again and again in Scripture. God uses amazing people, imperfect people, for his perfect story. And over and over again, God does not spare us the details of where they went wrong. You ever thought about why that is? So as we look at these stories... I think it's important for us to note something, that when we look at these stories, it actually creates an opportunity to see the redemption that could happen in our own story. Because maybe you feel like, man, I mess up all the time. And that is true. We do. We are imperfect. And yet there's opportunity for God to redeem and to restore us again and again. Today we're going to look at the life of one of these heroes that when I was a kid, man, I thought he was like the superhero of the Bible. Uh, he was super strong. He had long hair. His name, Samson. Some of you are like, I know the answer to that. It's your first freebie of the day. Samson, right? You know that. And when I think back on, on thinking and learning about Samson when I was a kid growing up in church, my earliest memory of Samson is uh, this, there was this Christian anime cartoon. Kid you not? It's called Superbook. Some of you may know. If you don't, YouTube it. It's crazy. Uh, super book. It was a Christian anime show back, back in the 80s. And I just remember the visual of that of like Samson, like he was super strong. He could carry stuff that was super heavy. He defeated a whole army like by himself. He could like push over a whole building. Like that's ingrained in my mind. And when you think of Samson, you think long hair, super strong. And that's like the superhero image that I remember from when I was a kid. When we take a close look at Samson's life, we see that it is really complicated. And he makes a lot of errors, and yet God is still there at work in his life in an amazing, redemptive kind of story. In fact, Samson's story starts even before Samson is born. His parents, uh, who were married, and they really wanted to have kids, but they couldn't. And then everything changes for them. Let's take a look in Judges chapter 13. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to her, that's Samson's mom, and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead, get this, in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. That is incredible. God, from the very beginning of Samson's life and even before, had a special calling on his life. Now, in order to understand this, you need to know that God had just led his people out of Egypt, out of slavery through Moses and then Joshua, and now they are in the promised land, but they do not yet have a king. So God has appointed these individuals to help guide God's people and to help free them from their enemies. And that's what the book of Judges is all about. That's why it's called Judges. And Samson is one of those that God specially appointed to help free his people from the hand of their enemies. 
And Samson grew up having to know this because of the vow that he had to take. And what's interesting to me about this, and the note, this is like a side note that I have to say, is that as a parent, as a dad, do you, do you believe that God has big plans for your kids beyond what you want? Like there is a calling on the lives of our kids that I think God wants to do in them. And if we just seek him and we ask him, like what's interesting about Samson's parents, they went back a number of times to make sure they understood exactly what it was that God wanted them to do, how they were to raise their child. And they did. They raised him with this vow. It was a Nazarite vow. And they knew that one day Samson would be the one to free them from the hand of their Philistines. I imagine he grew up knowing that. The rules uh, were taken from Scripture, the law that was given, and typically that Nazarite vow was given for a short window of time, maybe a few weeks or a month or so. But Samson was to live by this his entire life. It was no touching dead things, no drinking alcohol, and no haircuts. My son would love the last one. He'd be all about that. He hates getting his hair cut. But Samson had to live this way from the time he was young until he died. Like that was the goal for him. And so I imagine that he grew up hearing this, knowing his parents, instilling this into him. And I don't know, honestly, like if that made Samson arrogant or cocky or like, look at me, like God has a special plan for me. I don't know if he walked humbly in that. I really have no idea. But over time, Samson took that calling and he had to have known it. And he grows up with that calling on his life. And we pick up the story a little bit later in Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. Here's what you need to know about Samson. He likes the ladies and they like him. All right. So he sees a young Philistine woman. Now what's interesting about that, of course, is that the Philistines are the ones ruling over the Israelites. They are the ones that are constantly badgering them and attacking them. And yet Samson, the one who's supposed to deliver the Israelites from them, is checking them out. All right. So when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. And his father and his mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Like, why are you going to the, to the people of our enemy? Like, why are you looking there? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So there's something else at work here that his parents don't know and maybe Samson is clued in on it. I'm not really sure but God had a plan in all of this that in some form or fashion through this experience that God was going to work in Samson's life to undo the, the rule of the Philistines. All right? Let's, go on, let's continue. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them. That sounds crazy, right? The Spirit of the Lord, get this, came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. I have never torn a young goat. I don't know if it was common practice then. But in the event that you have ever torn a young goat and found it easy, that is how Samson tore the lion apart. Okay, just as easily. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And we're not really sure why. But then he went down, he talked with the woman, and he liked it. So at some point, God is orchestrating through all of this an amazing work 
And the Spirit of God is on Samson's life, giving him the strength. We already see God at work in his life. Now, there's a lot that happens. I encourage you to read all of this uh, for the full effect, but we're going to move quickly through this. Basically, what happens is Samson uh, goes, he meets this woman, and he's like, we're going to get married for sure. He goes back home, and then when it's time for him to actually get married, he travels back to marry this woman. Now, as he is going back to marry her, he passes by the lion that he killed previously, and now it is a carcass. It's decaying, right? It's rotting. But inside the carcass of this lion, there is a beehive, and there is honey in that. So he is now hungry. He's walking along the side of the road. He's like, hmm, there's some honey. I'm going to eat it. He reaches into the carcass of a dead lion, pulls out the honey, and starts eating it. Now, you remember his vow was... He's not supposed to touch dead things. That was one of the rules. You have to think, okay, why would he do this then? Clearly he knows he's breaking that vow. He grew up with that his entire life. Like it's ingrained in him even before birth. Why would he do that? I don't know the answer, but I put myself in his mindset and I think about my own life and I think, well, he's probably thinking, I killed it, so... Why can't I put my hand? I've already touched it before to kill it, right? Like, I mean, so this is no big deal. So he finds his loophole. He reaches in. He takes the honey, and he eats it. He continues on his way. As he's going, uh, they're preparing the feast for this wedding. It was customary for them. His uh, bride gets together 30 different people to hang out with Samson. It's kind of like they're like bachelor's week, right? So the 30 guys come and hang out with Samson, and they're like his groomsmen, and they're going to be his people for the week as they're all celebrating. And somehow, in some way, God has a plan for all of this, right? And then as they are hanging out, as they're doing their thing, Samson tells them, he's like, all right, I'm going to challenge you guys to a little riddle. He's challenging these Philistine guys to a riddle. He says, I have a riddle for you. If you can solve the riddle, then I will give each of you a new set of clothes. And if you can't figure out the riddle by the end of the week, then you have to give me 30 sets of new clothes. And they're like, yeah, sure, no, whatever. So he tells them the riddle, and they cannot figure it out. They cannot come up with the solution. And the clock is ticking. It would be really bad for them as people ruling over Israelites to then owe this Israelite anything, right? How embarrassing would that be for them? So the stakes are really high for these Philistines to not owe this Israelite anything. So on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we're going to burn you and your father's household to death. So high stakes here. Did you invite us here to steal our property? So Samson's wife threw herself on him, being Samson, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. Can you just imagine? You can hear that, right? Some of you don't look anywhere in the room. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. And he said, I haven't explained it to my own father or mother, so why should I explain it to you? And she cried the whole seven days of the feast. She's crying and crying and crying. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn then explains it to everybody else. So then they know the answer to the riddle. And what's interesting about this is that it's, and I don't know where this goes off the rails. It's not very clear. But whatever plan that God had originally is now uh, out the window. Because now Samson is going to have to react to whatever it is that happens, right? 
And I don't know what that was. Maybe this all part, I don't know. But I have to believe that God had a different plan until Samson kind of took it into his own hands. So Samson then owes these guys 30 sets of clothes. So what does he do? He goes, what any of us would do, he goes and kills 30 people. Philistines. Kills Philistines. Takes the clothes off of them and says, here's your new clothes. Enjoy. He gets so mad, he leaves town, right? His best man then marries his wife. He later comes back to meet up with his wife, and they're like, hey, she's already married to your best man. That makes him really irate. So he ties a bunch of foxes' tails together with a torch in between them, sets them off on a field. They light the whole field up on fire. This is crazier than Shakespeare, soap operas. I'm telling you, it's insane. So now they've just destroyed all their fields, and then the Philistines get really mad at Samson's supposed wife. They end up burning them at the stake anyway. And then Samson gets mad because they killed her, so then he beats all of them up and kills a bunch of Philistines, and then he goes back to Israel. How crazy is that? That's the really abridged version. you got to read it for yourself. It's, it's crazy. You understand why Samson's like the superhero, like, whoa, this is crazy. So Samson then finds himself among his own people. All right, so now he is hiding out among his own people. He's kind of keeping things at peace, but the Philistines, meanwhile, are irate. They want revenge. They are ready to come after Samson. So they go to God's people in Judah, and they say, hey, we're after Samson so we can fight you or you can just bring him to us. So 3,000 men of Judah go to Samson and this is what they say to him. We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, his own people. So Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Can we make a deal on that? And they said, agreed, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him up with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. And as he approached Lahai, the Philistines came toward him shouting, get this, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, keep in mind he's not supposed to touch dead things, but this one is fresh and therefore maybe it's not too dead, right? So it's a nice loophole again. He grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. I like this attitude. Like he's like a poet. He's really cool, all right? Samson was very thirsty. So he called out to the Lord and said, you have given me this great victory, but now I'll die from thirst and fall into the power of godless men. Now, God gives him some water so he doesn't die of thirst. And what's interesting to me about this is that the Spirit of God still comes upon him even though he is breaking his vow. Isn't that interesting? Now, Samson is still giving credit to God. Samson knows that his source of power, his source of strength, the only way he can fulfill what he is destined to do is through God giving him his strength. He understands that. He just gave God all the credit, right? So with that in mind, and, and I'm, I haven't figured all this out yet, I'll just kind of tell you where my heart and prayers, I read this and think about it, is that I think then that Samson knew that his strength wasn't tied up in the symbol of the vow. His strength came from God. Samson understood that the vow was a symbol, right, 
of his calling on his life. He understood that his strength actually came from God. He understood that touching something dead wasn't necessarily going to cost him his strength because his strength didn't come from not touching something dead. His strength came from God. But in dismissing that symbol, Samson is also dismissing his own disobedience. And that is a dangerous place to be. And that got me thinking, man, it's so easy for him to find a way to justify himself, to find those loopholes, right? To work the system and say, well, I'm still doing good. I'm still doing what God asked me to do. God's still blessing my life. But he's dismissing the disobedience in his life. And it made me think and wonder, where has God given us, you and I, clear instruction And we just write it off. We just dismiss it. And we dismiss our own disobedience. Sin in our life that creeps in and we just say, well, that's just how it is. Or we justify our behavior. And what a dangerous place to be. And yet, God still had a plan because in his redemptive story, God uses imperfect people to work out his plan perfectly. So Samson continues on with, with life. He's ruling well, apparently, with Israelites. Like, there's no major hiccups from what we can tell with the Philistines. But he's living his life, and he still likes the ladies, right? He goes after a few other Philistine women. And then he comes and meets the one that you and I know because they make movies about it, Samson and Delilah, right? And Delilah is, man, she's something different. She is a Philistine woman. She is of the enemy. And yet Samson falls madly in love with her like he cannot get enough of her and the rulers of the philistines notice in fact there are five lords of the philistines and they go to delilah and they say hey uh, we want to know the secret of samson's strength if you can find out for us then we will each give you 1100 like shekels of silver i mean she's going to be set up for life and that's very tempting for delilah and it's worth it so she begins Trying to figure out the secret of Samson's strength. So, Samson, how are you so strong? Right? Like she's asking. She's pulling him aside. Hey, tell me how you so strong. How, where, where do those muscles come from? And so he answers her. He gives her an answer, which isn't true. He lies to her. And she says, hey, the Philistines are here. And he completely annihilates them. So she does it again. She's like, hey, you... You lied. That wasn't nice, poopsie. Tell me. So she does this three different times. And every time he lies to her, he makes up something else. And then at the end of the third time, this is what happens. She says to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Don't put that on your walls in your house. I know we like to put scripture on the walls. That's not one, fellas. Don't do it. So he told her everything. Other translations will go a little further to express the full implications of this. Not just tell her everything, but it will say, told her everything that was in his heart. 
In other words, he gave her his whole heart, his whole being, everything. He handed her, he was so madly in love with her, his heart. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, I don't know if he actually believed that, because remember, he's already dismissed other symbols in his life of this vow. So he's probably, well, this is just another symbol. I can just dismiss it. You understand his strength did not actually come from his magic hair. That was not it. His strength came from God. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, remember, everything in his heart, everything in him, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything in his heart. He has, he has let me inside the deepest places of his heart. So then the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. So she must know, and they must know, this is it. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. And then he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, they gouged out his eyes, and they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison, which was the work of a woman, by the way, at that time. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So here is Samson, our great hero, our superhero, completely devoid of any strength. He has given his heart to someone else. And here he is, grinding away, blind, in a prison. And his hair starts to grow back. That's to indicate some passage of time. And here's the thing about Samson. Not only did, over time, did he dismiss his own disobedience and think, oh, it's not a big deal. He also ultimately dismissed the power of God in his life. which is a scary place to be. Disobedience often leads to destruction, every time, actually. But in God's story, like, that doesn't have to be the end, right? And that's what I love. We could say, well, that's the end of Samson, it's over. But it's not over. And I imagine the conversation that Samson has with God as he is grinding in prison. Can you imagine the conversation? I'm looking back on his life just like we did and seeing all the missteps, all the places he got it wrong and wondering, man, what did I do? How did I end up here? And his enemy is having a huge party to celebrate their victory over this judge, this Samson. And this is what happens next. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held in his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, the ones who paid off Delilah with all their silver. They are there. And on the roof, about 3,000 men and women were watching Samson perform. I have no idea what he was performing. I imagine feats of strength to embarrass him, right? And then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then Samson 
reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. God's redemptive story at work. But I have to wonder what would Samson's life had been like if he had just been obedient all those other times. I mean, think back, God had a plan and it could have turned out so differently without all the heartache, without him going blind, without him being reduced to being in prison. What would his story have been like if he hadn't dismissed his disobedience along the way? And we can look at Samson and we can say, oh, he should have known, he should have seen that coming. But the truth is, you and I are no different. We see that in our lives all the time. In small ways, little ways, the loopholes, right? In some ways, we sometimes will take credit for the things that God does in our own life. Places where God has had his hand and we might want to take the credit. Or we use the ends to justify the means, right? Or sometimes we let our own eyes and our desires of what we want, what we think should be, lead us into places or into relationships that are not actually close to God, but are actually far away from him. We dismiss our own disobedience, things that we know are to be true, and we just say, well, it doesn't apply to me, and we deny our calling. If you're a follower of Jesus, you understand you have a calling on your life to make Jesus famous and known. And yet we just, ah, doesn't apply to me. I'm just going to dismiss that. One of the scariest phrases in this whole story is when it says that he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't even know it. I never want to be in a place like that, right? Here's the great thing, though, in God's redemptive story. In Samson's life, the Spirit of God would come on him. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your heart and your life to him, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, you understand that you have the Spirit of God inside you. Huge difference. That means we're not waiting around for God to like, like he's with us right now, leading you, guiding you, directing you, showing you. And all we have to do is obey it, listen to it, right? Paul knows as much. He tells us this in Galatians, and I love what he says. He says, so I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. You understand they are directly opposed, in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. You understand if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not about you anymore. It's about what Jesus wants to do in you and through you, with his Spirit guiding you in your steps and in your life. But If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I think Samson understood that. He understood it wasn't the vow itself. In fact, Paul says the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I think Samson at some point in his life understood that. Paul goes on to say the acts of the flesh are obvious. Like they are known to everyone. But just in case, let me list a few. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Some of us are like, whew, not me, right? But then we get to hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, and and like on and on, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then we get to this great part that I love so much. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things, there is no law. When I think of Samson's life, man, that could have been his end result, right? If he had walked by the Spirit, that could be his story. But it wasn't. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, I love this phrase, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There it is. Are we keeping in step with the Spirit? I was having a conversation this week with a friend of mine. And she used this phrase. She didn't even know what I was talking about. And I was like, man, that's so perfect. She was saying, she was talking about her business. And she was talking about her life and decisions that she has to make. And she says, listen, I just don't want to be steps ahead of the Spirit. I don't want to be ahead of where God is leading me. I want to be right with him. I thought, man, that's so perfect. And I immediately thought of this image in my mind, because I think in pictures of my kids. And when we cross the street, what do I do? I say, hey, hold my hand. When I cross this street, I don't want them running ahead of me. I don't want them way behind me where I can't see them. Where do I want my kids when we're crossing streets? I want them right next to me, in step with me. That's what Jesus wants for you and me. John refers to followers of Jesus as little children. Are we approaching Jesus like little children? Are we listening to the Spirit? Are we walking in step with the Spirit? Or are we way ahead? Do we take things into our own hands? Do we try to control what we can't? Do we look for loopholes? When we walk in step with the Spirit, we're right next to Him. We're right where He wants us to be. And that is an amazing story to be a part of. I'm not sure how Samson's story would have turned out differently if he had lived that way. God ultimately is going to fulfill his purpose, right? He uses imperfect people. But we miss out on so much when we don't walk in step with the Spirit. So, again, the question, where in our life has God given us, you, me, clear instruction, and we're just dismissing our disobedience? What are we missing out on if we would just say yes to whatever it is he has for us. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that we can look and see not just the heroics, but we can see the shattered brokenness that you rescue people from. God, that you use imperfect people that in spite of our missteps and our mistakes, that you still choose us. God, thank you. Thank you that we are part of your story, that we can be a part of your redemptive story, that it doesn't have to end tragically, but it ends in hope and in victory. So God, reveal to us, reveal to your people now, to me, where you have spoken clearly and where we have just dismissed it. Don't let us miss out on it. 
Let us see the fruit of the Spirit in our life as we obey what you have called us to. Let us walk in step with you as we look into your word, as your Spirit leads us, as we commune with you in prayer and in worship, God, show us where we have fallen into a pattern of just dismissing what you have told us to do clearly. Help us to walk in step with you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.